Well, good evening. So, as Tamsin said, we're starting a new series tonight, and we're looking at rhythms. And what does it mean for us to walk in, I guess, a line with what God would want for us, to not run ahead of him, to not rush ahead of him, but equally to not lag behind, to have a life that is in pace and tune with Jesus. And ultimately, this summer, we want to learn habits that help us rest, to refresh and restore our soul. So that's where we're at this summer. And tonight, we're going to kick off with some teaching around pace. And I have to say from the outset, it might feel a bit more like a TED talk, to be honest, with lots of information, rather than just solely a Bible exegesis. But I think we just want to make this quite practical and applied. We want to look at how we can form habits and practices that really shape us, not just this summer, but throughout the rest of our lives. So that's where we're going tonight. I thought we'd start by just sitting back and closing our eyes. Humor me. We won't take anything from you. That happens later when we get the offering. Okay, so close your eyes. And I want you just to visualize that you're on holiday, okay? So feel the breeze just on your face, that sea breeze. Okay, just grab that glass of Malbec and have a sip from it. Or San Pellegrino if you're under 18. Okay, feel the heat just on your face. Okay, sit back and just feel really relaxed. And all you've got to worry about is what delicious meal you're going to have tonight from which restaurant. Okay, wake up, get back. Back to reality, I'm afraid. We're in Edinburgh on church. So what we want to do this summer, I guess, is think what practices and habits that we instill into our lives, not just for the summer. The summer is a good place to pause and to reflect and slow down, but we want to think about habits and rhythms that we take throughout our year. It's not just about doing it in the summer and then going back into August and working ridiculously hard. We want to recognize that God has instilled in us certain rhythms, God-given rhythms, and we ignore these at our peril. If we try and do things that he hasn't called us into or do things we were never meant to do, then actually it's going to cost us. How do I walk in rhythm with Jesus? I was created to live a life, I believe, as a Christian, where I walk in line with Jesus. At times it'll be busier, at times it'll be slowing down, but what pace am I meant to live at? And I was just thinking in terms of our Western culture, and this will be all too obvious to you, but we live in a society and a culture which is so busy, right? So we go on holiday, and who dreads that day when you get back from holiday and you're like, I've got to open my inbox and you're like, flip me, there's going to be so many emails. And it's, I get it, but it's, it feels like quite just relentless at how people can get you from all different angles. And then you have WhatsApp and Facebook and people just contact you. And it's so busy and so noisy and there's so much stuff coming at us from all these different angles. What does it look like for us to slow down and to pause? And today I'm going to talk about pace. And for some of you who know me, you're probably tempted to stand up now and just like chuck a rock at me or to shout, hypocrite. Because this isn't something I've particularly mastered, if I'm honest. But it's something I'm trying to work through and I'm trying to learn. So I just want to, I guess, share my learnings tonight. And equally, I, I don't want to patronize us. It's not something that at 35 I've mastered. It's something that we're journeying through together. And I just want us to think about tonight, how can we have a life and a pace that is healthy and in line with what Jesus would want for us? Recently, Duncan McFadgen, if you know him, he used to be part of our church, but went to Stenhouse Baptist Church. He, about two years ago, lent me a book on time management. I kind of got the hint. And he gave me this book, and recently, two weeks ago, he came to me and said, Andy, can I have that book back? And I had to say to him, I said, here it is, but I haven't had time to read it. So this is how much I'm owning tonight's subject, and 
this is how kind of much I've got to give you, but how do we live at a sensible and sustainable pace? How can we have a pace that is what Jesus would want? The London Institute of Contemporary Christianity did a research with Christians, and they found out that out of the people they researched, these were Christians, 55% of them said the number one reason that their spiritual growth made discipleship wasn't what it could or should be was due to fatigue and tiredness. So this stuff matters, right? More than half of Christians surveyed said that fatigue and tiredness and just the stress and strain of life was what was hindering their discipleship and journey with Jesus. That's quite sad, isn't it? That's quite, I guess, just stares us in the face and challenges us. And if I asked us, and I'm not going to, to put a hand up and said, if at times you'd be honest and put your hand up and say, I felt really stretched to the max, I felt burnt out, I felt like I'm at a wit's end, I've got nothing left to give, I think we'd be surprised at how many of us would put our hands up and say, yeah, I can relate to that. I felt just too stretched physically, emotionally, spiritually. I felt at my wit's end, I'm running at a pace that's unsustainable. So what does it look like for us tonight to think about how we can not live in burnout, but live at a pace which is sustainable and sensible. And the good news is, I believe as we look at scriptures, we look to the life of Jesus, is that there is a way out. And tonight it's about liberating us and freeing us. It's not about condemning us and making us feel judged. It's about starting the journey together, starting to look at our lives and say, how can I have a more sensible pace? And hopefully it goes without saying, if your pace is just perfect and your life is just, you know, just one kind of beach resort and honeymoon period to the next then that's great for you but for many of us I know it's a struggle okay so how do we do this and the first passage I want to look at is 2 Timothy 4 verse 7 quite a famous piece of scripture 2 Timothy 4 verse 7 it's on the screen if you've not got a bible with you I've fought the good fight I've finished the race I've kept the faith I've fought the good fight I've finished the race I've kept the faith so as we think about margin, how we live with margin, then we see two very key things here that we need to push ourselves and pace ourselves. If I asked you to run a marathon today, then I think without exception we would say it's going to be hard, it's going to be strenuous. And maybe for like, I don't know, Max, you would be fine with this. But for most of us, running a marathon would be hard, right? It would be an absolute push to the limits. But when we run this marathon, common sense says you pace yourself because you want to get to the finish line. You might think, right... I'm just going to sprint ahead. I'm going to run at my absolute utmost. And for the first two miles, you're winning. You know, that'd be quite fun, actually, to see what it's like to be ahead of a kind of London marathon for like two miles. I'm caning it. Probably couldn't do that. But imagine that. But then if you collapse, you're not going to impress people. What does it look like to push ourselves and to pace ourselves? Because one day we're going to meet our creator for those of us who follow Jesus. And we want to say, as Paul says here, that I've given it all. I've left nothing in the race. But equally, we want to say we've paced ourselves, that we've actually got to the end. We've not burnt out too early. We want to get to the finish line, but we want to say, I've given everything and I've lived the life, Jesus, that you called me to do. A few years back when I was marrying my wife, Adele, lucky girl, I hear you cry. Liv, good, thank you, Liv. You make me feel hilarious. And I married her, which is why we got engaged, I guess, and... We went in our engagement process to an absolute hero of mine. I mention him pretty much every day, a guy called Jim Graham, who has been here a few times to preach over the years, but he passed away. But anyway, an amazing guy, real mentor and wise kind of counsel to me. And I was chatting to him, and I said to him, you know, one of the things that Adele and I are going to master, and we're going to get sorted pretty early on, 
is we're going to learn to live with balance. This guy at 25 says, you know, we're going to sort out what balance looks like. And he looked at me and did that thing that only kind of really wise and old kind of wise counsel can do. And he took his glasses off. And he put them like that and sort of looked at me and said, well, when you do write a book on it, I'd love to read it. And the point was that in his 80s, he recognized that we constantly have to recalibrate, constantly have to journey towards getting balance. We're never going to master this. The freeing thing for all of us is that it's never something we think, I've cracked this. It's always going to be about readdressing balance, about readdressing our pace. And equally, when we get a promotion at work, we have to reassess where we're at. When we have children, we have to reassess. When we have different life stages, we have to say, okay, this is where I am now. What does it look to reevaluate where I'm at? It's a constant journey. And what I want to do is just really look at two things. First of all, how we look inwardly at our identity and security in Christ. And then secondly, look up some practical steps forward about how we can change our pace and hopefully have more healthy rhythms. And I want to read from Matthew 11, 28 to, sorry, Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. It's going to be on the screen as well. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I also just want to read from the message version, which is a translation and I guess an interpretation, but it's almost healing reading it from the message. Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The first thing Jesus says is come to me. In a world of chaos, of confusion, of noise, he says, come to me. The loving Father invites you to intimacy, to, to walk with him, to be in personal communion with him. And as he does that, as the Father invites you, he reminds you of whose you are and who you are. He reminds you you're ultimately a child of God. And the reason I say that as we think about pace, because if we don't understand that so much it comes from our security and identity, then we'll start to make decisions not based on that and start to jump to conclusions where actually if our security and identity is in him, it makes us, allows us to make healthy decisions. Because what happens is, the challenge for us is that we want to be needed and necessary. We want to be needed and necessary. We want to recognize that if we're busy, then we're important. Or we think we're way more important than we are. We think we're indispensable. And perhaps the other challenge is in a new phase of life, perhaps it's for a time where we, we fear facing our real selves. We fear looking in the mirror because we ask questions of ourselves. Will I be enough? Am I good enough? Am I okay? When we recognize that we haven't got these roles or descriptions around ourselves, we start to challenge who we really are. But when we understand that our identity and security is in Christ, we live at peace with who we're created to be. We recognize we're called to certain things, we're not called to certain things. We are able to say yes to some things and no to others because we're confident in who we are. Our decisions, our ability to follow our call is so rooted in our identity and security in Christ. When we recognize that, we can live at a more sustainable pace because then we start to understand and value ourselves and recognize we're human beings, not human doings. We value ourselves and make good decisions around that. 
We prioritize our relationship with God and realize that actually that's our number one thing. For those of us who want to follow Jesus, we say that that's the utmost important thing to do because that is where everything else stems out of. And because we're secure, we make others feel valued and we prioritize others. So much of this is rooted in our identity and security because then we stop trying to prove ourselves. We stop trying to impress others. We live at a sustainable pace when we come to him and say, my security, my identity is formed in you. And I'm more than enough, regardless of my role, regardless of my stage of life, regardless of my responsibilities, I'm secure in who I am because I'm a child of God. And we also, when we go to him, we gain our perspective. I remember a few years ago when I was at London School of Theology, we had a, a bit a few challenging months as the leadership there, and it felt kind of all-consuming. And one of my friends said, remember when you go to God, that there is a world outside of London School of Theology? I was like, oh yeah. But we get so consumed in our worlds, in our responsibilities, in our agendas, in our things that feel so massive, and I'm sure they are. But when we go to God, he reminds us of the bigger pitch. He gives us a greater perspective. He says, come to me, come to me, child. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what happens is, it refers to two oxen that would carry huge loads. And these oxen could carry absolutely massive amounts. So there's an expectation for those of us who follow Jesus and accordance his will that we can carry huge amounts when he's asked us to. But the way it worked was these huge oxen would have these huge things around their neck that would stand side by side, two together, and pull the weight. And Jesus is saying, stand by my side. Let's do it together. Stop trying to do it on your own. Do it alongside me. You see, because when we do it with him, he gives us grace for what he calls us into. There'll always be grace and sufficient strength and sufficient resource for what he calls us into. But equally, when we're trying to have expectations or be things or do things that we were never asked to do, we'll feel pressure and expectation and stress because we're trying to work out of what God's called us into. What does it look like for us to say, God, I want to stand side by side and only do what you call me into? I don't want to feel the pressures and expectations of others. I just want to do what you've asked me to do. One of the challenges I know for parents is that we're so concerned about the fact that our kids need to be always different clubs and always different activities. And of course, these aren't bad things, but if we're honest at times, it's because we're trying to compete with our neighbors. And then we're feeling this stress and strain of keeping up with the Joneses. What does it look like for us to make good decisions about the fact that our yoke is easy and the burden is light because we stand with him and that allows us to make good decisions. A few, week, a few weeks ago, a few years ago, I was out running and I have been out running since to be clear. But I was out running and I was on quite a, a hill and I saw, should we say, some elderly ladies out on bikes. And I thought to myself, I could overtake these guys running. So I did, I started to run past them and I could hear kind of in the background, all these ladies saying, wow, look at him go, isn't he fast? And my head was getting bigger and bigger and, you know, feeling quite proud of myself. Not quite sure why I was feeling proud of beating lots of grannies on bikes, but I was feeling quite superior. And I got kind of up, but this hill was definitely longer than I remembered. So what happened was about halfway up, I started to slow down and then started to walk. And one by one, these kind of ladies started to overtake me. Now that was good for my humility, but it wasn't good for much else. But the challenge when we try and push ourselves or take a race that we're never called to be in, it will catch up with us, it will hurt us. 
So we have to ask ourselves hard questions. Why am I really doing this? Am I doing it for my self-esteem? Am I doing it because it makes me look or feel good? Or am I doing it because God's asked me to? Take it to God, ask him these questions. Carl, in his book, Lead, talks about the fact we have to recognize there's different things to carry. And what he says is that there's things that we have to carry. There's things that others should be carrying. There's things that nobody should be carrying. There's things that God should be carrying. And the danger is, is that we don't, we take on things that we were never meant to carry. We hold things or allow things on our shoulders that actually were never meant to be ours. Expectations, pressures, responsibilities that could be for someone else. They could be for no one. Or actually they could be things emotionally and spiritually that are actually for God. We're worried, we're anxious about stuff that actually is for God to carry. And that's putting stress and strain on us. So we ask ourselves for hard questions. Because as this passage says, living with Jesus gives rest for the soul. It gives rest for the soul. How we'd love to have rest with the soul. And it talks about in this passage that we learn from him. And as we go to him, he orders our thoughts. He gives us clear thinking. He reminds us of our identity and he refreshes us. And then it goes on to say, you'll live freely and lightly. To live freely and lightly. How I'd love to be described as someone who lives freely and lightly. Jesus lived freely and lightly despite having a whole weight of the world on his shoulders. So, so much of it is inward, it's emotional, it's spiritual about our security and our identity and our value being in him. And that leading our decisions, that leading our expectations and not allowing pressures and things to be put on us that were never meant to be on us. But what I want to do for a few minutes is just talk about some practical things. And you might have other ways, you might have expansion on this, but the idea is just to think very practically in this season we're in in the summer, how can I live at a more sustainable pace? Some of this will be helpful, some of it you might have already mastered, but let's just think some of this stuff through. The first thing I think we need to do, which is perhaps very obvious, but we need to trust God. When we go to him, we want to trust him. And what I mean by that is, I find it mad, and I'm talking to myself as much as any of you, but as Christians, if we're not careful, we hide things from God. Now stop and think about that for a second. The God who knows everything, we hide things from him. We're not actually completely honest with him. Completely ridiculous. But we go to him and say, look, here is what I'm really feeling. I want this label. I want this pressure. I want this expectation taken away from me. I'm feeling frustrated about this situation. What am I frightened of? I'm frightened of slowing down. Because if I slow down, I have to look at myself properly. I have to ask myself the deep-rooted questions. What does it look like to say, look, here I am. I'm completely open to it. And we need to have grace with ourselves. God always wants to have grace with ourselves. Let's not kind of think we're going to sort this out overnight. He doesn't want us to feel burdened and heavy by this. But as we go to him, we recognize although change can be hard, it's always for our greater good. He wants to develop us. He wants to free us of these burdens. He wants to free us of these expectations and pressures. But it comes from saying, look, I trust you. Here I am. Here's how I feel. I feel that if I step away from this, it's going to be hard. If I slow down on this, it's going to be this cost. But we come to him and say, look, God, I have open hands about everything I'm involved in. Here's all the things I'm involved in, but it's yours. I want to have open hands and I want to trust you. If you want me to stop stuff, I'll stop it. If you want me to start stuff, I'll start it. If you want me to carry on, I'll carry on. Trust God. Secondly, we need to know ourselves. It says in Genesis that we're created in God's image. And it's useful, I think, almost to weekly or perhaps monthly to ask ourselves how out of ten we're feeling emotionally, spiritually, and physically. So it could be that we've given a lot to other people and we're feeling low emotionally. It could be that our relationship with God is feeling a low score because we haven't given it the priority we feel it deserves. We haven't had the quiet time that perhaps we feel we ought to. 
or physically we're not eating properly, we're not exercising properly, we're feeling low scores. But we need to recognise that for each of us, different things fill our tank. In order to have a sustainable pace, we need to keep those tanks full. I mean, you look at ourselves and we say, okay, what it is for me? How do I fill those tanks? This is very practical stuff. But I know for someone who's quite introverted, that we, I have to think about what space I need in order to be better for other people. What space I need to feel physically, emotionally, and spiritually refreshed. Time in the countryside is really good for me. That sounds a bit weird, but it's true, okay? I'm cool, kind of. I'm not cool. But what fills those different tanks is different for each of us. But equally, the flip question on this is what drains us. So perhaps it's conflict, perhaps it's administration, perhaps it's being around people. There's things that drain these tanks. And what happens is, as we get increased responsibilities, we get a promotion at work, or we have children, and then we find ourselves busier than perhaps we used to be. Yes, we recognize there's different phases of life, but what we also recognize is that we have more of the stuff that drains us. So we have a promotion at work and we are busier, we're more stretched, we have more responsibility, more administration, deal with more conflict. And we think, I haven't got time for the stuff that fills me. The exercise, the time with friends. And then suddenly we find ourselves beginning to burn out. In busy periods, the important thing is actually we intentionally go above and beyond on the stuff that fills the tank because other stuff will drain it. When we have a busy period coming up, how are you going to make sure that your emotional, physical, and spiritual tank is filled? Someone once said, you burn out, listen to this, you burn out because of what you don't do, not because of what you do. You burn out because of what you don't do, not because of what you do. If you don't prioritize the stuff that fills you, then the other stuff will take over and allow you to feel burnt out. Thirdly, we diarize our priorities. C.S. Lewis said a couple of things. He said, one, it said that, People are busy because they want to be important. We've touched on that, and I'm as guilty as the next person. If we're busy, we feel needed and important, and that's not okay. That's not Jesus' best for us. But he also says we can be busy because we're lazy. Which I was like, what, what do you mean, C.S. Lewis? I didn't chat to him because A, he's not alive, and B, he doesn't know me. But imagine we had that conversation. And what he's talking about is the fact that if we're lazy with kind of prioritizing our life and organizing our life, and what happens is other people set the agenda for us. If we don't set our goals and priorities and diaries around what God's called us into, then what happens is other people shape that for us. And suddenly we're stretched and busy doing things we're never meant to be doing, stuck on the hamster wheel because other people are ordering our lives for us. Now, of course, just to be absolutely clear, it doesn't mean we don't serve others, we don't help others. Of course we do. But ultimately, the person we're accountable to is God. It's not others. There's a great illustration, I'm sure you've seen it, many of you, but it talks about how, if you imagine a glass jar, we have rocks and smaller rocks and sand. And what it says is that the most important things in your life, and it'll be different for each of us, but for many of us it will be our relationship with God and family, for argument's sake, are the big rocks. And it says if you put those in first, and then put the smaller rocks, other things, I don't know, like sport, for instance, or whatever it is, and then finally, you put in the sandwich of the, sort of the, the kind of tertiary things, perhaps, watching Netflix or whatever. And again, it's not bad. It's probably just not a priority. He says, if you do that, then what you find is it all fits in. But if you put the, the sand in first and then try and fit the stones and actually they don't fit in because the sand takes all the room, the sand has to fill the gaps. And the point of the illustration, quite simple, is to say things like Netflix or things that are secondary that eat up so much of our time if we're not careful, if we don't allow those to be secondary to the things that are real priority, family, God, whatever it is, then they'll squeeze out what's actually really important to us. 
one of the challenges we have around here is around community. We talk about the value of community, and community is hard. And one of the challenges is that it takes time and effort within it. But we recognize that prioritizing it and diarizing it is actually really important for our soul. It's really important to journey it together. What are our priorities and how are we diarizing those? For all of us, if we're completely honest, as we look at our diary, we can look at what's important to us. That really shows us what is our priorities. But God always gives us capacity for what he calls us into. So perhaps very simply, what's helpful is to say, at the start of the week, I'm going to do a to-do list, but I'm also going to do a not-to-do list. I'm going to start looking at what are my priorities in my schedule. What are the things that I need to make sure are actually forefront of my diary give the attention to? I also think it's really important to fight for simplicity. Dallas Willard said this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. For hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our world today. Let me read that again. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. For hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our world today. If you think about that, I guess it refers to that same statistic that 55% of us, according to statistics, feel that our biggest barrier to walking with Jesus is tiredness and fatigue and overdoing it. We need to fight for simplicity in every area of our lives. We have space to rest, space to move, have margin in our life. And in the world of busyness and noise and expectations and pressures from all sides, we have to go the extra mile as Christians and say, look, I want to show something different. I want to live a simple life. I think so much of being a disciple, this is just one of my thoughts, is that the more we spend with Jesus, the more we look like Jesus, the more we strip off. We feel more fulfilled because we look like Jesus. But actually there's more, there's less of us, but more of him. How do we declutter? How do we prioritize simplicity in all areas of our life? How do we simplify? What can you do to simplify your life? Maybe it's about asking someone, how can you help me simplify my life? Where is this? Just chaos and busyness and not feeling rested and having a space of margin. The fifth one I want to talk about is just valuing different seasons. Jesus waited 30 years and was virtually anonymous for three really fruitful years. And even in those three years, there was times of where he was tired and times where he was busy. There was times where he reclused. There was times where he was with his close friends. There was times where he was with crowds. And there'll be seasons of stretch and there'll be seasons of rest. But we have to make sure we prioritize both. There's a great illustration around the lobster, and I'm not a lobster expert. However, I've done a bit of research around lobsters. Anyone who wants to meet me to have a, kind of like a chat around lobsters would be really keen to. But basically what they do is they have these shells, but it's their mushy internal that actually changes when they grow. So what happens is they feel stretched and feel restricted in their shell and feel the stress and the strain of it but want to grow. So they outgrow their shell and go under a rock, shed off that shell and get a new rock. And then what happens is they go to a, a new rock because that shell has been outgrown and they want to get rid of that because it's the stress and strain within that shell. So the mushy inside is what keeps growing. And the point is without the stress and the strain, the lobster would never grow. Stress and strain isn't all bad, pressure isn't all bad, but we can't live at that pace all the time. There is seasons of stretch, there's seasons of growth, and we need to recognize and value that. But how do we alongside that make sure there's time to rest, there's time to be refreshed after a really busy week at work with lots of interviews, lots of nights away? What does it look like at the end of that week? Actually, I'm just going to really prioritize time with Jesus, I'm really going to prioritize time with family, time of rest, rather than trying to burn the candle at both ends. What does it look like each day 
to have rest. Perhaps it's going for a walk at lunchtime. What is it like each week, each month to have margin throughout all we do? There will be seasons of real stretch, but we can't live at that pace forever. And the final one I want to talk about is just based on all this is we have to create an exit strategy. And I guess the reason I say this is because if we recognize that we need to slow down, and maybe you don't, but for many of us, I think we will recognize that. We need to be gracious with ourselves and recognize we're not going to sort it out all night or overnight. But we also need to be intentional and say, look, I'm going to take some steps. I'm going to have a bit of an action plan almost to work towards this. Because we don't allow it to actually be action if it's just head knowledge and heart knowledge, but it doesn't actually change how we look and live and act like Jesus. I used to live with a guy who was a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. Lovely, lovely guy, but just lived a crazy, chaotic life. He would invite his friends over, and they'd come from literally Hong Kong and Europe and all sorts of places, and they'd turn up at the airport with like, these huge desktop computers. And I'd never, he'd never met them before, but they were like gaming friends. I was like, this is a bit weird, they're coming to stay with us. So these kind of four or five guys would spend all their time like, playing games, and then they would like, collapse at like, five in the morning because they'd been gaming all night. And they would always kind of leave the kitchen and the house really messy. And I had this kind of small box room and it was dark and it was cold and it was wet. It was just a horrible situation. Adele was like, you need to get out, you need to get out. My wife was like, come on, you know. I wasn't married at this point, to be clear. This was before I was married. <laughs> Strange marriage, kind of 21st century style marriage. But no, we, we were kind of engaged or dating at the time. And she was like, look, it's just not working. You need to get out. And then what happened was he had his girlfriend, and he came to me and said, you know, it's not really going that well. It's a bit tricky. It's a bit messy. And we really need to break up. I was like, well, to be honest, you know, if you don't think it's working, if it's obvious to you that it's not right, then it's better just to rip that plaster off and, you know, call it a day. Fantastic relationship advice, free of charge for all of you. Not if you're married, okay? But anyway, but it's like, you know, I was like, it's probably best for you to leave. He was quite adamant he wasn't really working out. Then what happened was, he told me that he, she was moving in. I was like, hang on, she's moving in? He's like, yeah, yeah, I couldn't dissuade her. She persuaded me that she's better to move in. I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so I remember kind of a few days later going to get my breakfast from the fridge. And I'm not scared of much, but I'm scared of snakes. And I went to the fridge, and I found in the fridge some dead kind of mice he was going to give to the snakes. I was like, I'm about to eat my Frosties. This is not cool. So this girl moved in, and within a couple of weeks, they'd broken up, and it was the most awkward like house environment ever. Like The three of us, like, I didn't really get on with her, and they'd just broken up. It was just a mess. And then, kind of when things couldn't get any worse, I found out the snake had escaped. <laughs> and I was petrified, if I'm completely honest. I tell you that story, and it's a bit ridiculous, but the truth is, is that we... We don't allow the snake to get out. We don't allow it to cause chaos. We deal with it early on. We have to have an exit strategy. We don't allow it to build up to a point of burnout. Adele was telling me for ages, you know, think about what's next. But eventually I was forced to leave because of this chaotic housing situation. What does it look like for you to pass things on, to simplify, to delegate? How are you asking yourself the tough questions before God? Saying, actually, God, what is it you are calling me into? What is it you're not calling me into? We have to create an exit strategy. Perhaps allow someone to talk it through of you and to work it through of you. I always think that when you're feeling busy, almost the un most unhelpful thing someone can say to you is you need to slow down. Because you're like, yeah, but I can't just wake up tomorrow and be less busy. 
Now you can't, but what you can do is think, okay, in the next three months, the next six months, this is where I want to be. This is the life I desire, so this is how I'm going to work towards it. So we have to create a bit of an exit strategy. I'm going to close in a moment, but I guess it's worth saying for all of this that the, the hope is that we abide in Christ and we bear fruit. It talks in John 15 about the fact that we're fruitful when we abide in him. He cuts off some branches that aren't bearing fruit and he allows other, brutes to bear, other branches to bear real fruit. And it's because we abide in him and actually make him the priority and he leads and guides our every step. It's not about activity, it's not about busyness, it's about fruitfulness in our core. It's about living in tune with his will for our lives. Very practically, what we're doing in the next few weeks is we're going to have some very short podcasts and Zach and Naomi have put them together. And to be honest, they're three to five minutes and if nothing else, Zach and Naomi have got very soothing voices. So it's just worth listening for that reason. But what we're talking about this week is what does it look like for us to slow down? What does it look like for me to slow down? What does it look like for you to slow down? And it might be baby steps. It might be just saying, actually, for me, it's having a lunch break with my colleagues rather than carrying on and having lunch at my desk. I'm going to walk to work rather than constantly being in a rush to work. I'm going to watch the children play without my phone. What is it like for you to slow down, to be intentional about slowing down? You might even want to take it a step further and look at your whole week and think, how can you create more pause and more margin? But what practical steps are you going to take? I'm going to invite the band up. I'm just going to pray for us and give this to God. Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious God and perhaps for some of us tonight we feel burnt out, we feel overwhelmed, but we recognize that you love us, that you can help us turn a corner, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And I pray those words would be really freeing for us tonight, that we would know that, I, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And I pray for each and every one of us, we would know if there's areas of our lives, perhaps just small areas that you want to just tweak and shape so we have a more sustainable pace. Forgive us where we've allowed busyness or roles to shape our identity. I pray that we'd be secure and just content in our identity in you. But I also ask where you want us to make changes in our diary, changes in our life. I pray that we'd be obedient to what you're asking us to do. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come and gently whisper in our heads as we worship. How can we look and act more like you in this area? And we pray for this whole series about rhythms. I pray that it would be a time where we gradually have healthier rhythms individually and as a church. And that these would be things that we take into the next academic year. Not just things that we do over summer holidays, but actually would just be part of our day-to-day discipleship. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.